0: So We've been making our way through the Ten Commandments, and then we come to the Eighth Commandment, which is you shall not steal You shall not steal now this I am not standing in front of a group of thieves This is not a bunch of people who are uh, Have plans to go rob a bank today or you know anything like that and so It's easy for us to disregard some of these commandments when we hear them because they don't seem to affect us. They don't seem to register as something that would be important to our lives. We don't have uh, any inclination to be thieves. And so when the Lord says, don't steal, we say, yeah, okay, I get that. Let's move on. The Lord has a whole lot. Every time you encounter something in God's word, there's always more than the surface. And you always need to ask yourself, what is this about? Because it's always about more than what you think. And the Eighth Commandment is about generosity and the impact on our lives, how God can use a generosity to transform our lives and the world that we live in. Think for a minute. Now, you can't really think very long about this because it'll break your brain. But I mean... What if we lived in a world where there was no theft? You wouldn't have to lock your doors. You wouldn't have to worry, "Oh my, where did I put my keys?" you know. You wouldn't when you went to the store to, you know, buy your groceries and you give them your credit card, you wouldn't have to flash your driver's license. You wouldn't even have to sign for the thing because there's no theft. I mean, it's, it's hard. to we, we can't even begin to comprehend that. But what an amazing world that would be like, or, or to be. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Um, take it one step further. What if that world not only had no theft, but Every person in that world approached every circumstance in every situation with the desire to contribute, to give instead of take. Whoa. What a world that would be. I told you it would break your brain. We can't even imagine that. But it'd be a lot more like heaven. And that's God's point. He wants to change your little part of the world to look more like that. So we're going to dig into this a little bit this morning. That's why I asked you to turn to Luke chapter 19. Verse 1 says this, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Jericho was a little town outside of um, uh, Jerusalem to the east. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So he was a tax collector, and he was rich. How do you think he got rich? He got rich by taking from other people. Now, when you were a tax collector in those days, it was sort of like being a franchisee. You had a little uh, you were given a, um, you know, a, a sphere of, of influence. A, A territory, so to speak, and you were given quotas about, you know, how much you needed to extract from these people and send back to Rome, and, uh, you know, anything you could get over that, well, that was yours. So that's how he became rich. He took from people. And so he was not well-liked, and uh, none of the tax collectors were in those days. They were thought to be like the scum of the earth. And uh, so this guy, Zacchaeus, is one of them. And verse 3 says he sought to see Jesus, or see who he was. And the reason for that is, you know, everywhere Jesus went, there were crowds. And certainly he was hearing about that. And it says that he was passing through Jericho that day, where Zacchaeus lived. And so he wanted to see what the parade was all about. Middle of verse 3, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. If you've ever been through Sunday school, you've heard the story of Zacchaeus. We like to tell this story to kids because uh, Zacchaeus was short of stature, and we figure they can relate to to him. Um, But it was causing a problem. He couldn't see over the heads of everybody to get a glimpse of Jesus. Verse 4, so he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus I think it's pretty neat that he knows his name We don't have any record that they've ever met before but he just points him out and he says Zacchaeus make haste and come down for today I must stay at your house now that was unexpected verse 6 so he made haste Zacchaeus, wouldn't you I mean come on he made haste and came down and received him joyfully But when they saw it, the they there, are all the other people in town, when they saw that Jesus was going to the tax collector's house, that ticked them off. When they they saw it, they all complained, saying, he's gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. Then, verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give. It's present tense because this is happening right now. Look, Lord, I give. I give half of my goods to the poor. Right now, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. By the way, the Bible says that no man can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit of God. Something's happening to this guy. And it's evidenced by, by the transformation in his heart That says, look, Lord, right now I give half of everything I've got to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. What if tomorrow in the mail you got a check from the IRS for four times what you paid in this year? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? (laughs) Something's happened. Jesus showed up at a man's house and changed his life. A lot of us are nodding because we know what that's like. We know what it's like when Jesus shows up and calls your name. And basically, he doesn't have to say so, but what's behind that name calling is, from this day forward, everything changes. And we know what that's like. It goes on, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because... He also is a son of Abraham. We'll come back to that in a minute. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He says salvation has come to this house and we know it's come to this house because this man who was a taker is now a giver. He's a son of Abraham. What does he mean by that? Well, back in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12, you could look it up later if you want, verses 2 and 3, there's this guy named Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. I'm not Jewish, most of us here are not, <clears throat> but the Bible says <clears throat> that, that uh, he was the father of the faithful. His uh, children, his lineage, were the ones that God chose, not because they were special so much, or not at all, but because he was carving out a group of people to be a prototype, of the, a display of the ways that he wants to work in all of our lives. And the Bible says that you and I, if we've come to Christ, I'll, I'll take you to this scripture in a minute. Uh, if we've come to Christ, we're in that lineage. Anyway, he's the father of the faith, father of the Jewish people. And God is giving Abraham his initial promises in chapter four or chapter 12 of Genesis. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And that word bless in the Hebrew is a huge word. It covers Everything you can imagine, not only financial blessing, uh, emotional well being, physical uh, health and wholeness, uh, relational uh, vitality and, and, and uh, blessing. It covers it all of it, covers all. I'm going to bless you and make your name great. And a lot of times, people, when we think about God blessing us, which by the way, God wants to do. He's clear as a bell through all the scriptures that he wants to bless you, Miles. He wants to bless you. In that same way, in every aspect of your life, Michael, he wants to bless you. But we stop there sometimes in our thinking. But God goes on I'm going to bless you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says, Here's the deal. I want to pour out rich blessing in your life just because I love you. But there's also a purpose. I love everybody else too. And I want to bless them through you. And so when he said that day about Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, salvation's come to this house. Because you're a son of Abraham and you are now evidencing the fact that you are a child of God. That God is your father. That you are in this line of blessing and and, uh, uh, commissioning to be a blessing that Abraham was. So God plans to bless the world and he wants to do that by commissioning his people. I told you I'd tell you. Uh, about where that uh, scripture comes from that I was mentioning about we being part of Abraham's seed, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. It says, And if you are Christ's, I think that most of us in the room would probably say, Yeah, I I am Christ's. That means I am a follower of of Christ. I'm a Christian. I've given my life to Christ. He says, If you are, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That means that same word that God spoke to Abraham comes down to me and to you. If we are followers of Christ, I want to bless you, make your name great, so you can be a blessing to this whole world. It's through you I want to bless the whole world. A lot of times we we kind of, <laughs> you know, we kind of uh, stop up the plumbing, you know. God wants there to be a flow of blessing from him to us, to others, and we sometimes get so focused in on our own needs and our own stuff that we kind of choke off the, the process a little bit. I think God would like this morning, when he, as he speaks to us about the Eighth Commandment, unplug that, unstop that, so that the, this grand commissioning that God has given us to be givers and not takers is unleashed. That's what he wants to do, is turn takers into givers. Now, I'm going to do something a little different this morning than we normally would. I'm going to I'm gonna, uh, ask you to speak with me, to confess with me five statements. So I'm gonna, I'll read a scripture and I'll say a few words about it. And then I'm going to ask you to, I'll put on the screen so you, you can see it. On the count of three, all of us together will confess these things. These are the statements or some of the statements of a giver. Now, the reason I want you to do this is because when we speak something, it tends to set things in motion in our lives. As long as it's just rolling around in our heads, sometimes, you know, no action follows. But when I say it, ten, th- change tends to follow. When we make these confessions together, that doesn't make it so. But it might start a chain reaction that makes it so. You with me? So I'll read, a, I'll, I'll read a scripture, comment on it, then I will read the statement and have you read it with me. And we'll do that five times, and then we're going to go to McDonald's or wherever it is you're going after the (laughs) service today. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20 says this, For you were bought at a price. Rose, you were bought at a price. Christine, you were bought at a price. Alex, you were bought at a price. Who can tell me what that price was? Hmm? Blood. Blood of Jesus. You know, sometimes we think of ourselves as, you know, uh, God, did, if, he, if we were bought by, if we were purchased by God, uh, it was an impulse buy. You know how you go to the cash register and there's all these weird little magazines and, you know, you can lose 200 pounds in 10 days and, you know, there's uh, a gum and, and a chapstick and that kind of stuff. Well, that's all sitting there because you're in line, you got nothing to do. You know, well, it's a dollar fifty. I'll buy that. You know, I want to lose two hundred pounds in ten days. You know, so so we tend to think that God came through the cash or the checkout line, and you know, while he was waiting, there he said, "Oh, I'll take Christine." You know, no, no, no. God paid the highest price possible. He shed His own blood to purchase your redemption. Yours alone. You didn't get caught up in a, a big net that he somehow you know, uh, slung out there and, and wasn't aiming for you, but you got caught up in it, and so you're happy about it. No. He went after you and paid the highest price for you. You were bought at a price. Why is that important? Because if I know my value, is that high? I don't need to worry about what you think of me. I don't need to get my worth by bringing yours down a little bit. You know how that goes? You meet somebody and you kind of jockey for position. Try to figure out a way to kind of take them down a notch or two so you can feel better about yourself, right? We all do that. Why are you looking at me that way? We all do that. It's, it's not that we don't care, you know, but it doesn't matter what you think. And I can just be me, and if you like me, great, I hope so. But if you don't, that's okay, too, somebody really likes me. So I can like you, whether you like me back or not. I can like you. I can bless you. It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't take anything from me. I don't have to get my worth from you. So the first statement of a giver, it says, because the Lord has established my value, I can bless others. I don't need to derive my worth by undermining theirs. And I'd like to have you speak that with me, would you? On the count of three. One, two, three. Because the Lord has established my value, I can bless others. I don't need to derive my worth by undermining theirs. Ephesians chapter 2:19 says this: "Now, therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I carry a United States passport, and I'm proud of it. I am a grateful citizen of the United States of America, but you know what you know what? I, I'm not really a citizen of the United States. According to that verse, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And here's the, re- here's the deal. Because that's so, I don't have to worry about squeezing out every ounce of benefit from my citizenship, from my local, county, state, federal government, I don't have to make sure that, you know, I am reaping all the benefits of the taxes that I'm paying. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to fight for my rights. I'm a citizen of another kingdom, and we're good. You know, I, I'm, I do like you. You know, tax time comes around, and I'm, I'm, I got a really sharp pencil because I'm going after every penny, right? I don't know, I'm not even sure that that's wrong, but I look, let's watch our hearts. Let's watch our hearts. Let's be givers, not takers. Let's be people who, who pour in to our culture, not pull out. We all know people, you know, they play the system to make sure they get every, everything that's coming to them. Now, I'm not just talking about uh, money. I'm talking about well, it goes. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. because I and you, if we if you follow Christ or a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, I can I can approach my I can I can approach my city council without uh, being angry. <laughs> the way they're not doing what they should be doing. I can, I can approach them with, all right, here's what I could offer, rather than, what can you give me? Because, the, because I am a citizen of heaven, I can bless my city, state, and nation. I don't need to fight for my rights. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand we live in a democracy, and it's kind of based on you know, you know, making sure that we let our, our uh, elected representatives know what we want. But watch your heart. Watch your heart. Let's be givers, not takers. So read this with me. Will you count of three? One, two, three. Because I am a citizen of heaven, I can bless my state. Excuse me. You can read. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. This is not just for men. In fact, the, uh, the context of that verse, just preceding that verse that I just read, The Lord talks about husbands and wives submitting to one another, giving to one another. But he focuses in on men here. But it would be true for women too, for, excuse me, not women, for wives too. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. Wives reciprocate in that love. Often, if you're married today, you'll, you'll, you'll understand this. Often in marriage... We, we, we come as takers, not givers. You know, you got to do that, so I get to do this. You got to buy that, so I get to buy this. We come to our marriage bed to take, not to give. There's a weird thing that happens, and it's sinful. It's not godly. but because I am the bride of Christ. Because you are part of the body, uh, the, the body and bride of Christ. He says Christ loves the church, and that's the way that we're supposed to love our spouses. Because I am betrothed to Christ, I can give and not take. How would your marriage be different? If you stop worrying about what you need to get and what you could give instead. When your sick child wakes in the night, coughing or whatever it is, and now somebody's got to get up. What if the first thought is, it's me, it's me, I'm, I'm getting up. Because I I give, that would change things, wouldn't it? Not this calculation. Well, you I you know I did it two weeks ago. It's your turn. That whole thing. Because the Lord has betrothed himself to me, I can bless myself. I bless myself. Strike that from the recording. (laughs) I can bless my spouse. I am secure in his love. Let's read that together. One, two, three. Because the Lord has betrothed himself to me, I can bless my spouse. I am secure in his love. Philippians 4, 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's a... I mean, I don't want to... I hope you don't take this wrong, but that's really a blank check. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory, signed Christ Jesus. Man, that's pretty, pretty powerful. I would say we, not, we don't need to worry so much about material things, wouldn't you? And yet we do. Yesterday I was buying the airline tickets for our Costa Rican mission team. $6,000. Anyway, that was, that's another story, and I have been researching you know how we do. we want to get the very best deal, right so I've been researching for a week and uh and as i'm doing I'm noticing that the prices are going up, and so I'm starting to panic you know and i ha- was up at the men's camp yesterday with all these guys, and they were out at the skeet shooting range <laughs> i'm you know by the way, Dave Stanley came in second our you, our worship pastor was. <laughs> Who knew, you know? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, So I was watching them do that. And then I pulled my earplugs out, jumped in my car, and drove down the mountain to a Starbucks where I could get online and buy these tickets, right? (laughs) And uh, so I see they've gone up again. And so I'm panicking. I'm running around trying to find a better deal and all that stuff. Finally, I, I pulled the trigger and bought them. But don't we do this? We want to get the very best deal. And when we feel like we have, we'll compare notes with people, you know? And if if we got a better deal than they did, we think, yes. (laughs) But here's the weird thing. We'll go to God and we'll go, God, I got this great deal. Like God is strapped or something. You know, like he's up there going, I was worried. I'm so glad you got a better deal, you know, because that helps me out. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory, signed Christ Jesus. We don't need to worry about that so much. I'm not sure that it's wrong to be frugal or to be responsible with the resources God has given us, but dear ones, watch your heart. Let's be different. Givers, not takers. Your employer, your clients, your customers, they're not your source. God is. So you don't need to make sure you get... I, a guy came to me the other day and was telling me about he was working up his courage to ask his boss for a raise. That's fine. I I, I didn't have any problem with that. But I know that a lot of us, we, we get worked up about the fact that well if they would just give me more money i'd be better off my god shall supply all your need Signed, christ jesus i mean we have a promise from god i don't i don't need my boss's money well neither do you i mean we we are his and we don't need to worry about this stuff. Be a good steward, be responsible, but watch your heart. Don't get into that thing where like it's up to you to provide. It's not. Let's be, instead of going to work every day thinking, what more can I squeeze out of my, my boss? Let's figure out what, how much more could I give? How much more could I offer the people that I work with? How could my life change the environment of this place where I work? Wouldn't that be different? I went to Target the other day, and I'm, I'm the kind of shopper. I don't just kind of mosey around. I'm, you know, I, I know what I'm after, and that's, I'm just going there. I know it's on aisle or whatever, and... So I was gonna go get some laundry detergent and I got like, you know, blinders on. I know where I'm going. I don't seen anybody. Mm-hmm. I get there and get the thing and then I go out to where they check you out. And my always, my first thought is, why aren't there more cashier, ca- cashiers here? I gotta stand in line with all these, you know, heathens. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, and sure enough, the Lord just busted me right between the eyes. And it was like, really? <laughs> and pretty much that's all he had to say. You know, I knew it. What, what if I walked into that store that day not to get, but to give? Well, I needed some laundry detergent, but that wouldn't have been hard to handle. That transaction would have been pretty simple. But what if I said a kind word to the cash register, a cash register, cashier? <laughs> and, that, and honestly, that was probably a Freudian, oh, I don't know if it's, some kind of slip right there, right? Because I tend to think of these people as not much more than just a, cashier, a cash register, but they're people Jesus loves, right? What if I said a kind word that might have set them on a different course for their day? M- God might have been able to use that in some way. I could have given instead of just been a taker. What a world we would live in if we would listen to God and pay attention to the Eighth Commandment. So, because the Lord is my provider, I can bless my employer, customers, and business associates. I don't have to extract my wealth from theirs. One, two, three. Because the Lord is my provider, I can bless my employer, customers, and business associates. I don't have to extract my wealth from theirs. Finally, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That means that the grace that we have been so lavishly given, all of us. How many of you say, I I thank God for his grace? Go ahead, raise your hand. Thank God for his grace. God, see our hands. Thank you for your grace. That grace is free free you can't earn it you can't buy it there's nothing you can do to motivate God to give you more of it he lavishes his grace on us and it's without works so because that's true I can give to the church and not just money. I can offer freely my time, my talent, and my treasure. I can serve my heart out. Because I don't have to worry about being taken advantage of. I don't have to worry about proving myself. Honestly, I've been around the church for long enough to know that a lot of times people give and they serve because they want to be seen and known and because they want somehow to score points with God. None of that matters. God's grace is free. So I don't have to worry about that. It doesn't have to pollute my serving and my giving. I can bless and benefit the church without any second thought. Because my eternal destiny is secured by God's grace alone, I can bless the church. I have nothing to earn or prove. Let's stand as we say this together. One, two, three. Because my eternal destiny is secured by God's grace alone, I can bless the church. I have nothing to earn or prove. This is recording number one 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 six one from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Four Square Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, May 17, 2015. This is the 14th message in a series titled, The Exit, A Journey to Freedom. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Generosity.